This audio is brought to you by muslimcentral.com. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh everyone. Bismillah walhamdulillah wa salatu wa salamu rasulillah wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa man wala. Welcome back to the first alhamdulillah rabbil ameen as we have finished 50 episodes of season one of the first. We are inshallah ta'ala going to spend the next few months with some of the shorter biographies. People whose names are relatively unknown and about whom we may have just a couple of paragraphs, but they are from the earliest Muslims, the first Muslims. And bidnillahi ta'ala, in this last batch of the firsts, we are going to revive their memory, inshallah ta'ala. So the person we are speaking about today is a woman by the name of Shifa bint Abdullah al-Adawiyyah. Shifa bint Abdullah al-Adawiyyah. And she is the daughter of Abdullah ibn Abdul Shams and Fatima bint Wahab. She is uh, married to Abu Hathma ibn Hudayfa radiallahu ta'ala anhum and they had two sons by the names of Sulaiman and Masruq radiallahu ta'ala anhum. So she is known as Shifa bint Abdullah al-Qurashiya al-Adawiyya. She is from Quraysh and she's also from the tribe of Banu Adi which is the tribe of Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu. And I forgot to mention that the first few bios that we are going to go to go through inshallah ta'ala in these short bios are all somehow connected to Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu. So that's how we're going to batch this first group inshallah ta'ala. So she is related to Umar ibn Khattab radiallahu ta'ala anhu. And her name often comes up as if she's one of the tabi'at. She's someone that came later on in Islam because the role that she became known for is after the death of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. However, her reputation actually precedes Islam and she is considered amongst the very first people to become Muslim, okay? Her name actually was not Ashifa, that was her nickname. Her name was actually Layla, but she gained the nickname Ashifa, and which of course refers to the healer. And this was something that would stick with her for the rest of her life. Now, what makes this woman so unique? Number one, her wisdom. She had a reputation for her hikmah. Uh, number two, she was someone that belonged to the small group of people that were literate at the time. Remember when we spoke about Umar ibn Khattab anhu, he said the majority of people were illiterate in Mecca. Ashifa was one of the few women who could actually read and write in Mecca, where they only had about 20 to 30 people, according to biographers, that were able to do so. So she acquired the skill of reading and writing, of literacy, which was very rare. She learned medicine as well, hence her name, Ashifa. And on top of that, she also was a calligrapher. So she didn't just know how to write, she used to teach people particularly how to do calligraphy. And so we find uh, Hafsa radiallahu ta'ala anha, the wife of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam was a student of Ashifa, obviously related to her. And Ashifa taught her how to read, she taught her how to write, she taught her calligraphy as well. So when did she become Muslim? We don't have the exact time, but we know that it was within the first three years of the call of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam that she embraced Islam. And she is also amongst the first women to make the hijrah with the Prophet to Al-Madina. Now here's where it gets even more interesting with her. The Prophet trusted her and took her as a confidant in uh, seeking her advice in many matters due to her wisdom, particularly when it came to issues of finance, issues of the marketplace where she had a particular understanding. So when they got to Medina, and she's considered amongst the first batch of women to make the hijrah, she had a, a house that was set up for her 
between the masjid and the marketplace. And that was the famous home of Ash-Shifa that was very prominent in Al-Madinah. So in Mecca, she was known for her healing, she was known for her reading, she was known for her writing. In Medina, her home was prominently situated between the masjid and the souq. And so the Prophet wasallam, he used to visit her frequently. And this is where you see some of the beauty of the reverence that these people had for the Messenger She always anticipated the next time the Prophet would visit her family. And so what she did was she had a particular izar, a particular blanket, particular amenities for the Prophet for the rare times that he would come to her home. And when I say rare, obviously that is relative to everyone else. I mean, to live in Medina, to host the Prophet is a moment that you will never forget, right? But she wanted the Prophet to frequent her house even more. And so she has everything cut out and ready and prepared for the Prophet as a guest whenever he would come. And so the Prophet would visit her family and the Messenger would put on the izar and the blankets and use the amenities that she had for him. And the Prophet would take a nap in their family home. So SubhanAllah, I mean, think about how beautiful that is for her to have the honor of hosting the Prophet frequently in Al-Madina to, to, to learn from him والسلام, to be a companion of his and also to be consulted by him And when she passed away, her most precious belongings that she left for inheritance were not any of the wealth that she had acquired in Mecca or in her time in Medina, nothing that she had inherited from her husband, but rather the most precious belongings were the things, the, the clothes, the blankets, the things that the Prophet used to use when he used to uh, come to her home, radiallahu ta'ala anha. And so uh, she actually uh, you know, allowed for Sulaiman and Masruq, her children, to inherit those things. And that was considered the most precious of the inheritance of a Shifa. There are a few stories of her. There's one narration in particular uh, that we find in Abu Dawood where the Prophet entered upon her and Hafsa and of course, as we said, she and Hafsa were very close as she was considered from the extended family of Umar bin Khattab So she says in an authentic hadith in Abu Dawood, دَخَلَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ عِنْدَ حَفْصَ The Prophet entered upon I and Hafsa when we were sitting together and he said to me, أَلَا تُعَلِّمِينَ هَذِهِ رُقْيَةَ النَّمْلَةِ كَمَا عَلَّمْتِيهَا الْكِتَابَ Will you not teach Hafsa how to perform uh, a type of healing? for ant bites, infections that come as a result of ant bites. Remember, she is a healer. She knows medicine. She knows how to do ruqya. And the Prophet approved her to continue to do ruqya so long as it was grounded in what was coming from the Quran and the Sunnah, not from the practices of Jahiliyyah, but other types of medicine as well. So she had a particular way of treating ant bites. So the Prophet said, will you not teach Hafsa how to cure ant bites and infections that come as a result of ant bites the same way that you taught her how to read and how to write. So SubhanAllah, uh, why is this so important to us and why is it something that is significant? Because we find that the Quran was gathered in the house of who? It was gathered in the house of Hafsa radiallahu ta'ala anha and some of the ulama mentioned that that is because of her literacy, right? That it was all gathered in her home and she was unique in that sense. 
uh, as there were only a few people that knew how to read and how to write. So Shifa had something to do with that عنها, in teaching Hafsa عنها, how to read, how to write, how to use calligraphy and also how to treat ant bites. So the Prophet passes away and she maintains that home. And uh, there is a, you know, a, a story that Umar عنه, when he became the Khalifa, he formally appointed her as being in charge of the marketplace. Now there's nothing that is uh, firm to suggest that entirely, but we do know that Umar عنه, at the bare minimum used to frequently consult her on matters of the marketplace, the fiqh of finance, business, business issues and things of that sort. And of course, Umar عنه, who honored the Sunnah of the Prophet in every way, used to visit her home between the masjid and the marketplace, just as he saw the Prophet used to do so. And so we find that Umar as the Khalifa would frequent this woman's house. And on one occasion, uh, he asked her about her children, particularly Sulaiman. So her son Masruq was appointed as an Amir uh, somewhere, and, and he was. Uh, you know, considered a person of great knowledge, a person of great status under Umar anhu. So Masruq was appointed as an Amir. Her son Sulaiman was a person who was known for his recitation of the Quran and his long nights of prayer. He was a Hafiz and he used to lead the people in prayer. So Umar anhu on one occasion asked her why her son Sulaiman was not present at the Fajr prayer. And she replied that Sulaiman, her son, had been praying all night long and he fell asleep right before Fajr. And so he wasn't able to actually catch the Fajr in Jama'ah. And so the famous narration of Umar anhu, where he said, Usalli subh fil jama'ah for me to pray uh, Fajr in congregation, Ahabu ilayya min an usalli layl is more beloved to me than praying the entire night. If I'm able to catch Fajr in congregation, that's better than praying the entire night because the Prophet said that whoever catches Isha, in a congregation, then it is as if that person has prayed the first half of the night and whoever prays Fajr in congregation, it is as if they prayed the entire night. So that's actually the context of this particular narration from Ash-Shifa radiallahu ta'ala anha. So we find again Sulaiman and Masruq both play an integral role and they uh, the only lineage that we see that survives uh, Shifa radiallahu ta'ala anha is through her son Sulaiman who had two sons and he named his two sons what? Abu Bakr and Uthman. Abu Bakr and Uthman. So Shifa, the relative of Umar, is the grandmother now of Abu Bakr and Uthman and they became narrators of hadith. And so that is why we find some of the surviving hadith of this woman who was very early on in Islam, uh, Ash-Shifa bint Abdullah radiallahu ta'ala anha al-Adawiyya Amongst the famous ahadith that she narrates, she narrates the famous hadith that we will talk about when we talk about this companion of the letter that was sent to Kisra with Abdullah ibn Hudhafa radiallahu ta'ala anhu. So we'll talk about that hadith in a few weeks inshallah ta'ala and it's a powerful and beautiful story that we find uh, in our history. She also narrates a famous hadith where she says to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam or she says about the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam su'ila an afdal al-a'mal the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was asked what are the best of actions and he said imanun billah wa jihadun fi sabilillah wa hajjun mabrur uh, the belief in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to strive in the path of Allah and a accepted and accepted and perfect perfected hajj.
So Iman, Jihad, and Hajj, this narration also comes through as Shifa radiallahu ta'ala anha. The most famous thing that she narrates is the story of how Umar ibn al-Khattab radiallahu anhu was named Amir al-Mu'mineen, the famous tile that's given to him of the commander of the believers. Now, if you remember when we spoke about Umar radiallahu anhu, when Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala anhu was alive as the Khalifa, it was simple. He was Khalifa to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. He was the successor of the Prophet sallallahu But you couldn't just keep having the Khalifa of the Khalifa of Rasulullah and then the Khalifa of the Khalifa of the Khalifa of Rasulullah. And so there was a curiosity about what Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu was going to be uh, called. And so one of the, uh, the beautiful stories here, and sometimes it's beautiful just to read about how the hadith or the narration is transmitted. Uh, Imam al-Zuhri rahimahullah ta'ala, he narrates that Umar ibn Abdul Aziz uh, ta'ala anhu asked Abu Bakr ibn Sulaiman, so that's the grandson of Ash-Shifa. He asked her, uh, he asked him, I'm sorry, who was the first one to write Amir al-Mu'mineen? Who was the first person to call Umar ta'ala anhu by the name Amir al-Mu'mineen? Such a beautiful and endearing name, the commander of the believers. And he says, my grandmother, Ash-Shifa, was, uh, was one of the first women to make the hijrah. And when Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu uh, went, to, uh, went to visit her, he would frequent her on his way to the marketplace. And she told me that one time, Umar al-Khattab radiallahu anhu wrote a letter to a governor in Iraq and said, send me two men, two of your best men, so that I can ask them about Iraq and its people. So the two men were sent by this governor of Iraq and they were Labid ibn Rabi'ah and Adi ibn Hatim. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala be pleased with them. So they came to Medina and they entered into the masjid. And as they entered into the masjid of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, they found Amr ibn As radiallahu ta'ala anhu and they said to him, Ista'thin lana ala Amir al-Mu'mineen. Can you seek permission from Amir al-Mu'mineen for us to enter uh, upon him? And Amr ibn As ta'ala anhu, he said, Wallahi, you two have been granted success by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the name that you just addressed him by. For he is the Amir, he is indeed the commander, and we are the uh, the believers. So he said that I then went to Umar ibn Khattab radiallahu ta'ala anhu and I said, I said to him, Assalamu alayka ya Amir al Mu'mineen, peace be unto you, O commander of the believers. And Umar radiallahu anhu said, Why are you calling me that? Ibn al-As, and he said that, well, Labid and uh, Adi came to me and this is what they said, and you are the Amir and we are the Mu'mineen. And from that day onwards, this is the name that Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu used to go by. So SubhanAllah, this comes through a conversation literally between a grandmother and her grandson, which then is transmitted to the greatest grandson of Umar ibn Khattab, which was Umar ibn Abdul Aziz, the fifth of Khulafa al-Rashidin. May Allah be pleased with them all. So this is the role uh, that she plays. She also has a narration similar to that of Aisha عنها, narrating the traits of Umar ibn al-Khattab where we, she once saw some men that were walking very slowly and she asked about them and they said that uh, these are people that were praying all night and she said, كَانَ عُمَرْ إِذَا حَدَّثَ أَسْمَعْ وَإِذَا مَشَى أَسْرَعْ that Umar عنه, when he used to speak, he used to make sure everyone heard him. He spoke loudly. And when he walked, he walked fast. And when he fed, he fed generously. And when he hit, he hit hard. So a similar narration to Aisha 
radiallahu ta'ala anha that we also find from her speaking about Umar ibn Khattab radiallahu ta'ala anhu. And we find that this great woman who you know, was a woman of great scholarship, a woman of great literacy, and above all of that, a woman who embraced Islam in the very first years and had that noble position with the Prophet and Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu would pass away, leaving behind some of the ahadith that are narrated by Al-Bukhari, Abu Dawood and Nasa'i. And she passed away in the time of Umar al-Khattab radiallahu ta'ala anhu and Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu would lead the janazah of this great woman, Ash-Shifa bint Abdullah al-Adawiyya. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala be pleased with her and may Allah allow us to follow in their footsteps. Allahumma ameen. Inshallah ta'ala, I'll see you next time where we will continue to talk about some of the people around Umar radiallahu anhu about whom we usually don't hear much about. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.